0: How are you guys doing today? Yeah, that's great. You have a great reason to feel good. Uh, I think we lost a few people while they're flying their kites this morning. They're still attached to the string. It's pretty windy out there, um, but I have to tell you, um, I stand before you completely and utterly physically exhausted. I tell you, Project Skid Row was, was really, it was an incredible time. I want to thank every one of you who supported in every possible way that you could, be it financial or your personal participation as a driver. uh, You endured and labored through Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. You know, you you always say things are really tasty when they don't put the calorie count on the menu. Um, I want to share with you something that happened uh, as a part of this process. I had asked you originally... Hey, you know, I'd really like the number to come down a little bit from the 293, uh, that we had, uh, last year. And because of things got just a little bit out of hand, you know, one person trying to maintain control of all of that. And, and the Lord blessed that. So he brought us from 293 to 21. And uh, it was like, okay, I can kind of do this. I won't lie to you, it was a little discouraging because, you know, after about 3 o'clock, you know, we had about 8 people. I was thinking, okay, we got a lot of work to do um, and not enough bodies. But people started showing up and, uh, you know, in shifts and it was a great thing. But ultimately, you may have heard about that TB outbreak in, in uh, Skid Row area Uh, After becoming aware of that and then actually calling some of our partners who are in Skid Row and and are there on a daily basis and minister there, uh, I ended up getting in a situation. I said, we're going to cut that off. We have minors, and and I just don't want to bring anyone in that kind of situation. So we just stayed in the Compton area, kind of canvassed the streets. And uh, I was with a team with uh, Tim Bundy and his son Ian and uh, Jill Shannon and Liz Nelson. And I'm... I don't think we had anybody else unless I forgot someone. But that was our little SWAT team, our little street team. We were driving around, looking around, cruising for people. Oh, there's a person. Oh, there's a person. So we finally pulled over and we started walking the streets. Well, ultimately, there was this young man. I want to say he's around 17, 18 years old. And he uh, was walking with his head slumped down. Well, we walked by him. I actually didn't even see him because I was looking in a completely different direction. But the one of the pastors on staff saw him. He actually broke free and then started talking to him. So we all just kind of hovered back. And the reason we did that is because some of the people we were walking up to, it just seemed like, you know, if you had five people approach you, you know, there's a defensive posture. It's kind of like, you know, you're going in a Kung Fu Panda kind of mode. And uh, this guy just talked to him. But the, the very thing that I was hoping would not happen started to happen. So as a pastor, he's talking to him, and he's using words like sanctification and the Great Commission. And this kid is looking at him like he doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. So I said... There's a young guy. That's my kind of guy. So I, I said, I'm going to go up to him. I asked Joe for some cookies, and that was my bait. So I grabbed some cookies, and I'm like, "Hey, you want some cookies? And the guy says to me, no, no, I'm full. And that's usually kind of like I don't want anything you have to give because I know if I take them, then I have to also take whatever it is you're saying. So I said, hey, listen, I know you're hungry. Take the cookies. And I literally put them out right in front of his hand. So he took them, and I was like, you know you want those cookies. I'm just playing around with them. He's like, yeah, actually, I do. So he shoved them in his pocket. And, he, and I let this other pastor just continue to talk, and he's like, you know, and the Bible tells us, and, and I'm kind of like, wow, okay, Lord, what, what do I say here? What, how, do I, how do I approach this guy? So I said, well, what's your name, man? And he said, Jadel. I'm like, okay, Jadel. And I just started sharing my testimony with the word. And as I started doing that, I just shared with him, I grew up without a dad. the oldest of five to a single mom. And, and as I said those things, I just saw his eyes light up. He was like, oh my man, somebody understands me. And let me be clear, this wasn't about me. It wasn't about Egypt to the rescue. I'm sure there are many people who prayed for this young man's salvation long before ever I got to it. I just got to the place where I got to share something that he responded to. So at this point, we go on and on. It's 20 minutes-ish later. And I, I asked him a question. I said, what if you had an opportunity to change your life right now, would you? And he said, yeah. I said, well... What if what if God could change your your life right now? Would you take that right now? He said, God doesn't hear me. And I said, that's a really good answer. But assume for a second God does hear you. Would you accept him right now? Would you ask him to change your life right now? Assuming that God does hear you? He said, yeah, I would. This is like a gangbanger kind of rough kid. I mean, really, he's just he's a tough, hardcore kid in his heart. And I say, well, hey, I'm going to ask you to do something that's a little weird for you. I'm going to ask you to pray with me, but I don't care if you even bow your head or close your eyes. You don't even need to do either of those things. You can keep your eyes open right here. And I was able to lead him through a really simplified prayer to receive Christ. And He did. And we just sat there, and I was just in awe, like, wow. So pray for the young man, Jadel. It's a name that's kind of unique to you, but it's very common in the urban understanding, Jadel. Jadel. It's about 17, 18 years old, and then he shared a little bit more about his life and his mom and his brothers and sisters. They're all on crack and gangs and doing other crazy stuff. But here's a young man who is hungry for a new life and I simplified it by just asking if you had a chance, would you? So rather than saying you need Jesus, let me let me help you to know Jesus by if you had the opportunity, would you? And that's how we filled it out. And then seeing little Bella stack and, you know, some of the fearlessness in a 12 in a year old want to get out there and and just get in the grind. It, it was really amazing. And to, for me to sit back and watch both, you know, Liz and Jill Shannon just kind of engage. I was kind of like, this is awesome. This is cool. For me, the joy was getting to see others actually just express hope and encouragement to others. There's so many stories. If you were in Project Skid Row, could you just raise your hand for a second if you actually went? You guys ought to run up to these people before the day is over and say, tell me about what happened. Tell me about what happened in your eyes. Uh, And some of you, you didn't get to go, and that is totally okay because for me, This big idea of what we normally do, God slimmed it down to this very small area where we didn't get to meet as many people. But the people we did meet, it was more and it was just more influential in the sense that we actually made those connections relationship wise uh, that I was hoping we would make. And God was glorified that because of you. So thank you for that. So that was Project Skid Row. We'll catch you next time. Uh, As we continue on here today, after the service, we have soup and pie. Uh, This is a big thing. So after I talk about Skid Row and more food, we're going to have more food because that's just how we do. Uh, But today at the end of the service across the street in the Faith Cafe, we've got looks like 17 different soups and 15 different pies. Uh, So you'll want to when you conclude, get across the street as quickly as you possibly can. Uh, One of the cool things that we get to do again this month here, this coming Wednesdays, particularly for you small groups, if you'll consider diverting your small group to Wednesday, nine to seven o'clock, we're going to have an all church prayer Uh, Prayer night and prayer service that was a really incredible time last month So we're getting to do it again this month So we hope that you and your friends bring some others come and please worship with us through prayer Uh, We're also having a men's day men's work day on March the 2nd from 9 to 12 after uh, You know, there'll be lunch afterwards, but sign up on your connections card uh, there 's plenty of guys here who really take the leadership point on that. I know we got Greg Wangler over here, Greg, just put your hand up. Everyone knows who he is, but if you don 't you need to know who he is. Uh, of course, Eric, uh, and thank you, Eric, for the really crazy times at Skid Row that was that was good stuff. yeah, you know what i 'm talking about it 's all illegal. Um, <laughs> great stuff, but really the men 's work day we're working on several different various projects throughout the throughout the church, things that need to be fixed up and maybe repaired, tightened up, and things as such. And finally, I want to introduce to you our newest Lighthouse Church member. This is Kylie Alexis McCoy, daughter of Jake and Cheryl McCoy. I wanted to give them a hand. She was born on Wednesday. She came in at a resounding seven pounds, 13 ounces, with the diaper and the cap and the snow cone in one hand. She will be the next rumbler and tumbler. Give it up for Jake and his family and Cheryl. Amazing stuff. So congratulations to your your new one. But why don't you all stand right now? This is one of those times where, you know, when I visit other churches, there's a question that always comes out Is Turn to your neighbor and say, God loves you, you know, and you're always like talking to the same people. Will you please talk to someone that you haven't talked to? Here's the question of the day. What's your favorite kind of soup? If you can go ahead and grab a seat.
1: If you're new here, just to let you know, in your bulletin that you when you came in, there's a little section here. And if you would be so kind as to tear it off, let us know that you're here. We just, we don't ask for anything during the offering time. If you're you're new here, we just ask that you would let us know that you're here. Also, if there are prayer requests that you have, or if you'd like to get involved in a small group, the work day or anything like that, you can indicate that on this card. And then when we take offering here at the end of the service, you can tear that off and put it in there. We are in the midst of a a series of called The Life You Always Wanted. The focus of this series is the spiritual disciplines. And as Lee and I have been reiterating over and over through the course of this, probably because it's such a a mindset that even we need to break ourselves of, the spiritual disciplines are not rungs on a ladder towards righteousness that we somehow have to climb up. Spiritual discipline, we can't make ourselves righteous. We can't make ourselves set apart any more than we can saying, you know, that we we can save ourselves. And that's exactly why Jesus Christ died. It is God alone who can save us and God alone who can really strip away the junk and transform our lives. And so the goal of the spiritual disciplines is to help draw us into a more intimate relationship with him because he alone can make us holy. That's what holy means, set apart from the common, set apart from the things of this world. Only He can do that. We can't do it to ourselves. And so the spiritual disciplines are the things that we do to kind of strip away the clutter so that we can draw into a more intimate relationship with Him. And this morning, we're going to focus on the spiritual discipline of prayer. And prayer is one of those things that I think that we're all pretty familiar with. You know, if, if nothing else praying for our, our favorite football team, or, you know, we pray at, at, at times. sometimes. I mean, it just becomes like this thing where prayer crops up throughout the day, even if we don't necessarily fully think about it. But I'll tell you, real prayer, the prayer where I'm engaging with God, that tends to happen mostly when I've reached the end of my own strength. I'm not sure if you're anything like me, but I know for myself, it's kind of, I run at a million miles a minute and I trust in my own abilities and it's really when I kind of fall down, stumble, come to the end of my own abilities that I finally throw up that Hail Mary pass, right? Okay, God, help me here. It's almost as if we've turned prayer in some ways, and I'm speaking mostly to myself. We've turned prayer into like a a spiritual AAA card. It's there to pull out of your pocket when you break down on the side of the road and you can't fix your own car, you can't fix your own life. Okay, at that point, now God will invite you into it. But the reality is that if that is our perspective on prayer, and let me, let me be real clear, God wants us to bring our, praise, our our requests to him. He wants us to be real and honest about where we're at. But if that's the sum total of our, our perspective on prayer, that we maybe say good morning to God in the morning, and then we, we maybe acknowledge him at our meal times. And then, only, and then really we come to prayer when we've reached the end of our own abilities, we are completely missing the heart of what prayer is really about. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to focus a good deal of our time on trying to uncover what is the heart of prayer? What is it really? Because I think that we've really truncated it down to being only a sliver of what God intends it to be. So turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 3. that we're going to be making, and it's going to be one major point this morning, and then we'll kind of flesh it out a little bit more, is that prayer is far more than just at mealtimes or when we are in need. Proverbs, which is just after Psalms, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, and many of you guys are probably familiar with this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, in all of your ways, acknowledge him. Some translations have submit to him and he will make your path straight. Now, I love that. That's the NIV version, but I want to I read it in the message here because I love how um, Eugene Peterson translates this. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do. Everywhere you go, he is the one who will keep you on track. Here's the point that this passage, this verse draws out. God is not simply interested in the moments where we come to the end of ourselves and we need help. He's interested in that, but he's not just interested in Sunday mornings as if there's some thin line between Saturday night and Sunday morning and one day of the week is set aside for him and the rest of the week we kind of do our own things. God is interested in every aspect of our lives. And prayer is not simply something where we invite God into the places where we're overwhelmed and we need help. As if he, you know, has given us the bat signal and we call on him and we need help. He's not our AAA card. What he's saying, what this passage is saying, is that prayer can be, should be, communion with God. Ongoing. In every aspect of our lives, not just the holy ones, but the secular and the mundane as well. And the goal of this, the goal of prayer, is not just to get our prayers answered. The goal of prayer ultimately is relationship with God. Does that make sense? Because that's a fundamental paradigm shift in our perspective on prayer. If we look at prayer as simply where we bring our laundry list to God, then it becomes like that AAA card that you pull out of your pocket and you call in for help and, okay, fix this for me. And then once it's fixed, we go back to our regularly scheduled lives. And if we don't see it getting fixed, then we become more and more convinced, like Egypt was saying about uh, this guy, that, that God just doesn't hear my prayers. God's not there. Is there even a God? The paradigm shift here is that we're talking about prayer as an ongoing communion, interaction with God in every aspect of our lives. Let me give you uh, some examples of what that can look like. Sometimes my boy Grayson does not need nearly as much sleep as Kathy and I do, apparently. So he wakes up, usually about half an hour before I would like to, and unfortunately, God never installed a a snooze button on him. But as I'm I'm groggily in bed, getting ready to get out, some mornings I'm coherent enough to think in my mind, good morning, God. I, I pray that you would just go with me right now if i don't do it when i'm still in bed then at some point i try to kind of acknowledge god's presence that looks like inviting god into my life recognizing that he's there because he's there but it's an acknowledgement of his presence ethan is is four he's my my firstborn he's four and he's in that stage right now where he's testing boundaries i think he continues that until he dies um or he moves out or whatever but he is—he's. There are times where he disobeys pretty blatantly, and there are moments as a father who is is also broken and wants his own way, and as a child in some ways, you know, I, I start getting more frustrated with Ethan, and I start coming down harder. And there are moments where I realize that I've kind of go, gone beyond being a parent, and now I've become a child myself, and I am just going to get my way. And it's usually only at that point, once I've I've kind of had to extricate myself from the situation you know, calm down for a second, that I then invite God into it and go, God, I need your help. Because I've kind of come to the end of myself. But what if, before I get to that point, what if I acknowledge that God is there, my Father in heaven, is there with me in the midst of me trying to parent and discipline my own son. God, would you give me wisdom? Now, what would that require to recognize and acknowledge God's presence there. I need to slow down a little bit, which is what we talked about last week, right? That discipline of slowing down so that we can recognize God's presence. But I imagine that if I were willing to do that, and I've been trying to do that more, in the midst of sensing that I'm starting to get frustrated and flustered, God, would you give me wisdom in how to respond to my son now? or even before Ethan or Grayson starts to disobey, just entrust, you know, God, would you be in the midst of my parenting today? I imagine that when I, if and when I do that, I'll be a little bit more patient, a little bit more kind, and a whole lot more loving to my boys. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to be disciplined, but at least my approach is going to be different because I'll recognize that God is in the midst of that with me. Or even things like going to the gym, and you're going, what? You, you, you acknowledge God and go to the gym? Yeah. Because again, Proverbs, 20, Proverbs 3 talks about the fact that we are to acknowledge him in everything, in every aspect of what we do. So when I show up at the gym, sometimes I'll go, hey, as I'm walking in, God, would you go with me? Would you open my eyes to the things? Thank you so much for giving me not only the provision to be able to come here, but also physically being able to exercise, and so now would you go with me and open my eyes to the opportunities around me? And I can tell you from experience that even doing that is a fundamental shift in my perspective, God has opened my eyes to opportunities that when I go play basketball with these guys who would never step foot into Lighthouse Church, I don't look at them simply from the perspective of I wanna crush them in the name of you know, healthy competition. I look at them as guys that I have an opportunity to minister to. And it changes even how I get, you know, when I'm not playing so well, it changes my attitude. When I've lost at times, when normally I would be bummed and I have to sit down and wait for the next game or whatever, I've actually had opportunities to have conversations with guys. I've had an opportunity to pray with several guys at the gym that I would not have had had I gone in there simply with the mindset of, I'm here to get a workout, I don't want to be bugged. Does it require being interruptible? Absolutely. But the reality is, what if we began to live our life as if prayer is not the thing that we go to when we come to a need that we have, and that's the only time we go to it, but what if we start to approach prayer as a lifestyle? Prayer is an ongoing communion with our Father because He wants to be part of everything, wants to be acknowledged and recognized in every aspect of our lives. From our home life to our work life to our hobbies to our free time when we're by ourselves to that moment that you are, are sitting at the restaurant, and you're trying to figure out what to eat, what to order. Even in an acknowledgement, God, what, what do you think? What would be good for me? It seems silly perhaps to you because you go, this, is, this feels like forcing it, but the reality is if we began to live our lives like that, you wouldn't have to start praying about something. Cause the reality is you never ceased. There would be moments where you're li- being a little bit more focused on it, right? Bringing some request to him in that moment, but in everything that you do acknowledge his presence. I think that that's what Paul's talking about in first Thessalonians, where he talks about when he literally says, pray without ceasing. Have you guys read that before? I think that that's what that means. When we recognize God's presence in every aspect of our lives, we are undergoing a constant act, a lifestyle of prayer. And the goal of it, the goal of that is intimate relationship with him. A more intimate recognition of his presence in our lives. A more intimate recognition of perhaps his will for us. Romans twelve one through 2, you know, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your spiritual act of worship. You know, be renewed or be transformed through the renewing of your mind and then you will be able to recognize God's will for you as good, pleasing, and perfect will. All of those things are wrapped up in this concept or this idea of living a lifestyle of prayer, not simply praying at specific times of the day or inviting him into, you know, thanks for this meal. Or God, I really need, here's my laundry list. All right, see ya. You work on that. I'm going to work on that. We'll see who gets it done first. Does that sound attractive to you? The, the lifestyle of prayer, the, the lifestyle of going through life and in everything, inviting him into everything. And I, I start asking myself, yeah, that sounds really attractive to me, but why am I not doing that? Why is that not more a part of my lifestyle? And and another question might be, what are the things that hinder our intimate communion or relationship with God? And what I want to do for a moment is look at a couple of the areas that really can hinder our relationship with them. First one is one that Lee addressed last week when he talked about slowing down. And that is simply one of the first hindrances to an ongoing communion or relationship with God is busyness or distraction or noise. I'm just going to call it noise. To me, noise can look like a, a bunch of different things. It can look like constantly being hurried from one thing to the next. More than simply busy, but hurried. Feeling like I can't be present now because I've got all these other things I've got to get to. So I, even with my boy in front of me wanting to talk to me, I'm thinking about something else and I'm not fully present. Noise. Or the television or the radio. This week, I've, I've, in, in an attempt to slow down a little bit, I've been driving with the car radio off which has been pretty amazing at how little space I actually have in my life. And that little time, because it's a huge commute about a block to my house. (laughs) But the little time that I'm in the car, my first impulse, the moment I get in is to go push the the button and turn it on. And even that has become a discipline of saying, I'm just going to drive in silence. And as I do that... It's amazing the way that I have begun to... The Holy Spirit reminds me of things or, you know, just begins to direct my thoughts. Or even I've spent that time in prayer. There have been some things going on on our street and and praying for some of my neighbors in in those things. Time that I would not otherwise have had. I'll tell you the number one source of noise in my life is my cell phone. Um, Because it, it... a smartphone that's supposed to make our lives that much, you know, more productive. And unfortunately, what it's done is, for me at least, any moment that I have space, whether it's in the bathroom, whether it's in bed while I'm waiting for Kathy to to get ready, whether it's sitting on the couch, I can pull that thing out and I can constantly be checking my emails, I can check sports scores, I can read news, I can do whatever I want and I fill up every single crevice of my life with noise, and in the process, I'm missing out. You totally understand what I'm saying, huh, Bill? Every single crevice of my life is full. And so, one of the ways that we can be, the, the spiritual discipline of slowing down that Lee talked about last week, helps us to begin to create space where we can begin to listen. Because remember, prayer is a conversation. Oftentimes, we approach prayer as a monologue. I tell God what I need, and then I go on with my regularly scheduled life. But that's a monologue, not a dialogue. And part of prayer is a communication where we are also listening as well. But it's very difficult to listen when we have no space, where every moment's full of noise. That's why it's so imperative to practice slowing down, especially in Southern California, if we lived in Hawaii, if we lived you know, somewhere else, or even back you know, 50, 60 years ago, it would have been a different story because there were less things, but we have just created a lot of stuff. All right, I'm, I'm stuck on that one. <clears throat> Noise is a major impediment to our relationship with God. The second one, and perhaps the biggest one, is sin in our lives. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 59, just a couple of, of books over from Proverbs. In this book of Isaiah, you have the prophet Isaiah who is speaking to the people of Israel. People who declare that Yahweh is their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He has brought us out of Egypt. He's brought us into the promised land. And yet it seems at times like he doesn't hear us. It seems at times like my prayers only get as high as the ceiling in my room. And that's where they stop. Where is God in all of this? I suspect many of us probably ask the same question. It feels like my prayer has absolutely no impact whatsoever. One of the reasons Isaiah suggests is found here in Isaiah 59 verse 1. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Our sin, open disobedience, refusing to do what we know God is laying upon our heart or choosing to do things that we know do not are, are not in alignment with his heart, have a way of putting a, a, a kind of a... a barrier between us and our God driving a wedge between us in part because God is a holy God and and, and can't accept that moral filth and our in our disobedience but another part of that reason and I find this in myself a lot is when I mess up when I choose to disobey I'm kind of like that dog who gets wounded and kind of runs off into the woods to lick my wounds and to try to clean myself up before I come back and can be vulnerable. I try to clean myself up so that I can be worthy. And the reality is he's the divine physician. He is the one we need to come to, to to clean us up and heal us and all those things. But the point is this, our sins have an effect on our relationship with God and they can impact our prayers. We're going to deal with that in just a moment, but I want to talk about one other one that can really influence our prayers or impact them in a negative way, and that is unresolved relational conflict, whether it's with a spouse or with somebody else. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. That's towards the end of your Bible. If you hit Revelation, go a couple of books to the left. 1 Peter chapter 3. The point we're going to be making here is that we've got noise that can be an impediment to our prayers to that ongoing communion with God. We've got our sins that can drive a a wedge between us and God and, and, and affect our prayers. But then we've also got this unresolved relational conflict. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, Paul is talking to both husbands and wives about their relationship. And at one point, he turns to husbands and he says this, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way... Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker, and he's talking here about physically weaker partner, as heirs with you and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life. He's not in any way being demeaning to women and saying they are less than or that you are in any way less than. It's simply men as the stronger of the physically stronger of the partners treat your wife with respect. Be considerate of her. Why? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Isn't that interesting that the way that we treat our spouse, and he, you know, other places it insinuates this isn't just for husbands, but that in both partners in the marriage covenant need to be considerate and respectful of one another. Because otherwise our prayers can be hindered. And we might go, why? How would that affect my prayers? Well, first off, oftentimes when we harbor bitterness and anger, I'll be the first to admit when I'm doing fine with Kathy, it's real easy for me to pray with her or pray for her. But when we are in the midst of conflict, prayer is about the most impossible thing to say yes to and to actually engage in, whether it's for her, which is infinitely easier than to pray with her when I'm angry. Why? Because... I have had very difficult time praying, genuinely having a conversation with God and holding on to my anger and resentment. And I don't want to let go of this. And so oftentimes my heart says, don't submit to prayer because in doing so, you know you're gonna have to lay this down. But that's what makes prayer such a powerful thing. And when Kathy and I have been in the midst of conflict, and in the moment, in, in the midst of it, one of us goes, Hey, can we just pray? And we choose to do so. I can tell you categorically, it has, it radically shifts the whole focus of the conversation. And it's almost like letting out all of the pressure from the balloon. It doesn't solve the problem, but it helps us move beyond that to actually start having that real honest conversation. Because in many ways, it's laying down of the anger and the resentment and all that junk. But when we refuse to or are unable to let go of that conflict with our spouse, it can absolutely affect our communion with God. But it goes well beyond the relationship covenant. Go, to, go with me to Matthew chapter 5. We've got just a couple more verses we're going to look at today. I know we're all over the place. <clears throat> but I'm just trying to paint a picture of all of the ways that our relationship with God this communion with him can be interrupted or distracted by the things of this world and our other relationships. So not only is ongoing kind of conflict with our spouse a way that our prayers can be affected, but also when we've sinned against somebody, when we have unresolved conflict with another person, Jesus was really forthright about the fact that you need to deal with that. It's important so much so that in Matthew chapter 5, Where am I at? Verse 23, he says this. If you are offering your gift at the altar, right? You're going to come and worship God. And there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. You've done them wrong or you've hurt their feelings or there is something outstanding between the two of them that you have not resolved. Leave your gift in the front of the altar And first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Rather than simply going, oh, yeah, you know what? I really need to deal Deal with it, address it, because that becomes an impediment to you being able to fully worship and engage with God. That becomes a hindrance to your prayers, to your life of communion with him. One last one. Go with me to Mark chapter 11. Because it goes beyond simply when we have sinned against somebody else. But what happens when somebody sins against us? What then? I hope that didn't come off of somebody's car. So, Mark chapter 11, verse 25. When you stand praying, horse it, and you hold anything against anyone... Forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. If you are holding on to resentment, if you have unforgiveness in your heart and you find yourself praying at that moment, forgive them, release them from the debt that they have to you. Otherwise it will hinder even God being able to forgive us. That is interesting because for me, we often talk about the fact that what do we need to do to be saved? nothing other than accept the free gift that jesus has offered us right there's nothing that we can do answer it it's fine (laughs) Uh, noise but you know what he let it go to voicemail appreciate bobby so we i'm so derailed right now sorry my my add kicked in god please be with this me right now (laughs) So, forgiveness is a major area, a major impediment to our own relationship with God and to our being able to be forgiven. It's that parable that he tells of the the servant that's been forgiven much. And then he runs over to the person who owes him just a fraction of that and says, pay back everything you owe. And he's unwilling to release that person from their debt. And when this king who has released him from a lifetime of debt finds out about it, he goes, okay, throw him into prison this ungrateful servant who didn't recognize that the gift I've given him, he needs to pay that forward. Unforgiveness in our hearts is like poison that we drink hoping that somebody else is going to die. We damage ourselves, we damage our relationships with other people and we damage our relationship with God when we are unwilling to forgive. And so we've looked at this morning several impediments to this ongoing communion or relationship with God, noise, unconfessed sins, and then unaddressed relational conflict with other people, whether it's a spouse, whether it's somebody we've sinned against or somebody that has hurt us and we have, we have unforgiveness in our hearts, which, which begs the question then, how can we deal with that? You know, how can, we, how can we move beyond that? And the simple answer is confession. Because if prayer is more than just asking for things, if prayer is an invitation to God, an acknowledgement that he wants to be part of every aspect of our lives, and an invitation to God to come into every area of our life, then confession is the act of inviting him into our junk. Confession becomes the, okay... These areas that I'm ashamed of, that I hide in the shadow areas of my heart, you can come here as well and begin to clean me out. You turn there, but let me just read one last one. This is from first John, and this is one of several passages that make the same point. But in first John one, eight and nine, it says this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay, every single person has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. There is not a single one who can stand before him and say, I'm righteous by my own strength. Not a single person. However, if we confess our sins and this is the good news, this is the gospel. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because Jesus Christ has already paid that penalty for us. Paid it in full. We simply need to accept that, but it's the confession, the act of laying it down. Now, we might ask the question, why do we need to confess it if God already knows it? Right? But it's a posture thing. It's not about God being aware of it. He is God. He knows everything. But the act of confession is an act of inviting God into that and saying, help me in this. It's an act of submitting it to him. In all of your ways, submit your life to him and he will make your path straight. Would you throw up the uh, the quote from Frederick Buckner? Okay. I love this. I want to read this twice. To confess your sins to God is not to tell him anything he doesn't already know. Until you confess them, however, they are the abyss between you. When you confess them, they become the bridge. I'm going to read that one more time because I think that's such a powerfully true statement. To confess your sins to God is not to tell him anything he doesn't already know. Until you confess them, however, they're the abyss between you. When you confess them, they become the bridge. It's the difference between I'm ashamed of these things I, like a wounded dog, am going to run off into the woods and I'm going to try to deal with these things that I'm so ashamed of. And when I feel like I've dealt with them, when I feel like I've healed or bound up my own wounds or whatever, when I feel like I've done enough penance or I've paid the penalty enough, I've kind of beat myself up over this enough, then and only then will I feel comfortable to come back into God's presence. And oftentimes we stay estranged. And we stay distant. It's not that God has turned from us. It's that we've turned from him to try to fix ourselves up, which is the one thing he says categorically we cannot do. But when we confess our sins, and I, I, I know that many of you know the feeling here. When we confess our sins and bring them before him and recognize that he r- runs towards us like that father in the parable of the prodigal son, runs towards us and throws his arms around us and says, welcome home. It does something, doesn't it? I am known in my shadow areas and yet I'm not rejected. I'm loved anyway in spite of my junk. And suddenly it makes us feel more intimately connected to our father and it brings so much more joy. Here's the point. Prayer is not simply about bringing a laundry list of needs to God. Prayer is not simply things that we do at moments in our day where we invite God into that moment and we tell him what we need and then we go off and do our own thing. Prayer is a lifestyle of relationship, it's a lifestyle of communion with the Father. And if we are truly going to invite God into every aspect of our lives, then we need to recognize that prayer is not a time to be good, it's a time to be honest. It's not like he doesn't already know. We serve a God who knows everything about us the good, the bad, and the downright ugly. And, he, and yet, he loves us in spite of ourselves. And he desires relationship with us. I want to invite Justin to come up. We're going to go into a time of response, but in your outlines, there was this blank white card. I want you to pull that out. And if you do not have one, Bob here is going to pass one out. So just raise your hand and he'll bring one by. Here's what we're going to do. On these white cards, I want us for this first song to spend some time simply, honestly sitting, asking God, what is it that I need to confess? What are the things I've been holding on to? Is it, you fill in the blank. Maybe there's some unforgiveness that you have yet to release. And write that down maybe it's just the person's name or you know some way that you can write it no one will see this what we're going to do is we're going to spend the first couple of minutes here sitting with God and allowing him to begin to open our eyes to the things we need to confess you can write a word you can write a statement whatever on this card and then in a couple of minutes when you feel ready I encourage you in writing this down to prayerfully release these to God and say God I, I confess these things and then as you feel ready, at any point, you've got these two crosses up here, and at the foot of the cross, there are shredders. I told you, we're not going to read them. Okay. And as an act of submitting them to God, recognizing that Jesus has already nailed all of your sins to the cross, and they have been paid in full, I encourage you, during this worship time, as an act of worship, to simply bring your confessions up and put them in the shredder. And that noise is going to be part of our worship this morning. Okay? So let's spend some time with God.